the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your first year's subscription. That's $2.99 a month for all the great articles, including one I'm going to get to in a little bit here, from John Hollinger, great NBA analyst, big analytic guy, always brings the heat, and he's got a really neat article here where he basically does the uh, guess this draft prospect from the NBA, and it's loaded with data, which you can guess I'm going to geek out on. It's uh, interesting, and we're going to talk about why this NBA draft, not only for obvious reasons, is going to be very different, um, and some of the some of the players who are not going to be there, where they're going instead, all that good stuff. There's a there's a good chunk of NBA stuff to get to today, and we're going to bring in Scott Allen in a little bit here to talk about a bunch of it. Of course, we're going to talk about the Jordan Doc and some of the numbers surrounding that whole Bulls era. Uh, we're going to get to, like I said, some of this NBA draft stuff and the surrounding parameters that are causing some friction with both college basketball and the NBA. Then we're going to dive back into some changes. So, of course, with this hiatus dragging on now longer than many anticipated and seemingly having no timeline at this point, the leagues are going to have to start making changes. The NBA has done that. Uh, we're about three weeks away from that coming into effect. What does that mean for player salaries? What does that mean for the salary cap? What does that mean for the upcoming season, the current season, and then versus the upcoming season? Uh, the NBA has some guidelines now in place for those. Scott's going to break that down for us really well, and uh, we'll answer a bunch of those questions. Obviously, any more questions with any of this stuff, info at spottrack.com for email, at spottrack on Twitter. And again, check out John Hallinger's piece. If you're a Buffalo person, uh, like my like many of us are here, <laughs> surrounded to the Spot Track community, hit up The Athletic and check out Tim Graham's piece. I'm, I'm not going to detail it too much. I'm going to leave it as a tease, but I think many of you uh, Buffalonians are going to like what Tim Graham has to say, or at least be interested in it. I don't know if you're going to like it too much, but uh, another Tim Graham bombshell, as we're prone to getting from him every now and then. Check that out at The Athletic. Again, theathletic.com slash track for 40% off. All right. My name is Mike Gennetti. Hope you had a good weekend. We're at week six for many of this lockdown, shutdown, coronavirus, hiatus. Um, boy, last night was necessary with that Jordan stuff. I guess let's start there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save a lot of this for when Scott joins the show because I want to make sure he gets involved with this conversation as well. But the ratings just came out. It's about 530 Eastern on Monday and the ratings are out and they're big and they are big, 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 as you might imagine. It's a look, one of the most polarizing athletes we've ever had in our lifetime, any of our lifetimes, no matter how old you are right now. Um, it's the only thing on, you know, it went up against American Idol and its own sister network, ABC. You know, I kind of clicked around to see what else was on while I was getting into this because I I was interested in that as much as I was interested in watching this documentary. Um, it's just a weird time right now. Generally, we'd be at least figuring out the NBA playoffs. I'm not sure they would have officially started yet. I don't have that schedule in front of me, but we would have been considering the NBA playoffs. The NHL playoffs would have been here as well. I, it's just weird. So, you know, on a Sunday evening when you're home, home with your family, which... For many of us, that's all we've been doing for the last six weeks. It was a, a nice way to just sort of 
dive into something that we've been looking forward to now for uh, at least a couple of weeks. And when we heard they were going to bring this thing forward and uh, give us an early taste of this, I'm not going to go too deep. Like I said, I'm going to wait until Scott gets involved, but it was, it was definitely good enough for me. I, I didn't need much to be entertained last night. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it got me out of bed at 11 p.m. Eastern and to hop on Twitter and at least uh, throw some numbers out there and, and, and talk to some people that I, I knew also had watched it, which, by the way, I mentioned the ratings. Many of you watched it. 6.1 million of you watched the first two episodes last night. So it's expected. I don't know why it's really surprising. Like I said, it's the only thing going right now, and it was really well done. And he's polarizing. We don't hear much from Jordan. Um, you know, 30 years into this all, we don't know too much about Jordan from the inside out. We know what we've seen on the court. So this is neat. This is great because we don't have the dynasty in our life anymore, especially now with Brady gone. That was sort of the last thing we were hanging on to. We'll see if this Golden State thing can keep going, but it's still not going to measure even close to what this Bulls decade run was. So really need to dive into that and uh, at least start to understand Jordan a little bit more. And it's just kind of cool that this thing finally came together. I mean, you know, if you listen to the people who do this for a living, especially the Bill Simmons of the world who you know, birth the 30 for 30 and our knee deep in documentary work on an, on an everyday basis for him to kind of come forward and say, this thing was 20 years in the making, 30 years in the making really. And until he saw it on TV, he didn't believe it was going to get done. <laughs> it's just, that's how stubborn, how private, how closed, how difficult Michael Jordan can be. And that's why I think even if there's a bunch of sports going on around it, I think this is probably going to be must-see TV for the next five weeks. So that's all I'll say from there. I'm going to let Scott have his take. We'll talk about some of the Bulls' numbers and uh, have some fun with that. I do want to get to some football for my little open here before I bring Scott in. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot of football this week. We're going to have a, a special football series tomorrow, which we'll uh, disclose at the end of this show. And then we'll be back on Thursday, which is first round day. Um, so we'll get to some of the draft numbers. We've got some interesting data to, to disclose, try to get a couple of guests on to talk about what might happen, obviously have our takes and our thoughts and our guesses about what certainly could happen. Not that that hasn't been all anybody's been talking about, but of, of course we'll get involved with that on Thursday. But for today, here's where I want to lay with, uh, you know, there's no other place to go, but quarterbacks, there's going to be maybe four taken in the first round. Although I feel like we say that every single year. And then of course it doesn't happen. Um, I don't know. Here's the question I want to pose to you because there's been hot takes and hot stoves and rumors. And Where's Tua going? Is he going to slip to 20? Are the Patriots going to dive up and get him at 12? Uh, you know, every possibility has been tweeted at this point. You know, uh, Here's the question I want to ask. We've got Cincinnati. We've got Miami. We've got the Chargers. Maybe the Raiders. Maybe the Patriots. Maybe the Jaguars. If you follow those teams, or if you're a draftologist, or if you're a data nerd, and you're trying to plug this puzzle together right now, and then in the with the days leading up to this thing, is the team? And, and look, this is only a question because I'm asking it. This is not likely a question that these teams I mentioned care about. We've seen it in the past with a lot of teams, uh, and it's had kind of eye-popping results if the answer is one thing and the decision is another. Here's the question. Is your team or is this team ready for a quarterback in the 2020 draft? Um, 
for a number of reasons. I'm going to start with, I'm going to make it easy because it's a podcast and I don't want to think too much. <laughs> is, your, is your team or is that team's offensive line built to protect a rookie quarterback? Now, obviously, there are a ton of parameters that come into play. Is that quarterback actually going to play in 2020? I don't know. For coronavirus reasons or roster reasons, maybe not. We've seen it more and more. You know, I'd say 75% of the time, the answer is yes, they're going to be in under center before week four. That generally seems to be the case. But the good ones didn't. <laughs> so is somebody going to take Tua and decide our roster is not ready for him from a medical standpoint or we're not ready for him from a risk standpoint? Uh, you know, both of those things could be true with the Tua situation. With Joe Burrow, look, Andrew Dalton's still on that roster. He hasn't been traded. He hasn't been released. None of us know the actual reason why that is. Maybe they're just trying to wait this thing out and hope that there's a sixth-round pick for Andy Dalton down the road or during the draft. It's possible. But for now, he's on the roster. So it isn't a guarantee that Joe Burrow gets the week one start. It's likely. It's maybe really likely. But what if it isn't? Let's just start with the Bengals because they're the obvious choice to start with. We know they drafted a tackle last year, Jonah Williams out of Alabama. We know he got hurt in training camp, hasn't played it down. He's a rookie. For all intents and purposes, he's a rookie. Now, the Cordy Glenn situation, it didn't pan out. You know, it kept Andy Dalton upright sufficiently, I guess, and let Andy Dalton be Andy Dalton. But everyone to the right of him, and it's not arguable, is under par. And they didn't really do enough, in my opinion, this offseason to prepare for the coming of Joe Burrow. And that's what, how they needed to be addressing it. In my opinion, they should have had, and I mentioned, you know, I'm in the Buffalo area. Before the Bills drafted Josh Allen, and then the year after they drafted Josh Allen, when they realized, hey, we still don't have enough of that offensive line, they, they, they primed up for a draft early. During the draft where they drafted Josh Allen, they took themselves a garden to tackle. And then the year after, when they realized, like I said, we're just not deep enough, they also lost their center to retirement, lost Richie Incognito to some unfortunate circumstances. So they kind of got gutted. Um, they went after it with, give me seven. Don't give me one guy or two guy who I think can, can do the job. Give me six or seven, and hopefully two of them can play, and then the rest of them, they're getting their reps because we need it. That's how much they cared about protecting Josh Allen, who isn't the best quarterback in the league. But they're going to make sure that the reason he fails isn't because they didn't protect him enough. To me, that's the mindset everybody's got to be in, all right? Everybody, even if you think you're getting the best quarterback in the draft in Joe Burrow, even more reason to protect the, that, in, that financial investment, $40 million guaranteed, protect your window to win because that is what you're adopting here. You're adopting a four, five, maybe six-year contract of cost control. Four years plus a fifth-year option plus a franchise tag. That's the way you can look at it now. <laughs> That's cost control. You know exactly what those parameters are going to be. Yes, they're going to increase with the fifth-year option. Yes, the franchise tag is going to be expensive too, but it's not going to be $120 million guaranteed. It's not going to be Jared Goff's hell. So this is your window. So for a lot of reasons, you should be building with contention in mind. And to me, it starts with the offensive line. And I just don't think that the Bengals 
I'm going I'm to give you the numbers. I'm going to give you the pro football focus numbers from the end of 2019. The Miami Dolphins were dead last in offensive line rating. Dead last. Cincinnati Bengals were 30th. The Chargers were 29th. The Jaguars were 26th. And the Bears were 25th, who we know are struggling at the quarterback position as well based on what they've done this offseason. Here's what they did. The Bengals grabbed a new right guard, Suafilo. He's bounced around. He's a guy. He's just a guy. I mentioned Jonah Williams. He will be getting the left tackle uh, start. Cordy Glenn's off the roster now. Everything else is pretty much status quo. So if you think 30th in the league, maybe maybe those two additions get you into the 28, 27, right? This is not good enough. That's not good enough for the number one overall pick, a franchise quarterback, and a player that if you hit lightning in the bottle with, you should be able to contend. And if he can't stay upright, you can blame whatever you want, but that's not doing enough right there. And I know you can't do it all in one year, but this team knew what they were doing last year when they started to trade and release every, everybody. You could have been stocked. There were trades made, okay? There were trades made. The, the Chargers were one of them. The Chargers acquired a right tackle from the Carolina Panthers. They got rid of Russell Okun. Their left tackle, who was underperforming, sent him to a better situation, change of scenery kind of thing, brought in a right tackle and Trey Turner and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to do things from, from one side and then focus on the other side. They went and got Brian Balaga, who was Aaron Rodgers' right tackle for a lot of years in Green Bay. They're going to ask him to play left tackle as of right now, according to a lot of the depth charts that I've seen. Uh, but they've at least made some kind of significant move. That's a change to the left tackle and a change to the right guard. That's essentially what Cincinnati has done as well, by the way. A change to the right guard and, and giving Jonah Williams the keys to the left tackle spot. If that's enough for them, fine. I just don't think it is. Yes, it's two starting positions, but for where they rated last year and where they need to be to protect these new guys, whoever they're going to be, I think you needed to throw as many pieces of baloney at the wall as possible. And maybe that's the plan in the draft. Okay. Maybe that's the plan with their second round pick, their third round pick. Maybe there are more trades coming. It's possible. Hopefully. I think that my point here is hopefully. If you're a Bengals fan, a Dolphins fan, here's the Dolphins. The Dolphins added Ted Karras out of New England. He's going to be the new center as of now. And Eric Flowers, who, <laughs> man, a lot of people were really, really down on. He got three for 30. And he's going to be the new left guard as of now. So that's a big, big role. I, if I had to guess, based on what I'm looking at here, based on everything I just told you, where they were rated in offensive line, what they did in the offseason, I, I bet my life that, of course, the Bengals are taking somebody at number one and that the Chargers are taking somebody six or earlier because of everything they've done. It was the, the Chargers' very first move to bring in Trey Turner to be that right guard. And, he, and Brian Berlaga was a very early free agent addition. Uh, so you could, that's the mindset that I would have if I'm that team and I'm saying, all right, we're getting rid of, of Philip Rivers. Tyrod Taylor's fine, but we got we to gotta upgrade this thing right now. We want to get ourselves into a position where a rookie quarterback can come in and succeed immediately. And that's fine. And oh, by the way, because of the situation contractually with those players they brought in, Belaga, Trey Turner, extending Austin Eckler, a bunch of things that they've done nicely outside of the franchise tag for Hunter Henry, which you don't blame them for doing his own injury history alone. Um, but they're building themselves for two, three years here. That's the kind of contracts that they've handed out, which means if I had to guess, and I'm guessing on all this here, I don't think 
if it's Tua, by the way, that Tua plays this year. Let's say Tua goes to the Chargers at six or four or three, whatever they do. My, my guess is the plan is we're going to slow this thing down. We're going to continue to build. And when we're ready as a roster and he's ready as an athlete and, you know, mentally as a quarterback, we're going to let this thing ride. Now, maybe that happens week 12, week 13, you know, generally speaking. It's tough to wait a whole year. I get it for a lot of reasons I already said. But, but if I had to guess right now, I would say Ryan Fitzpatrick is the week one quarterback for the Dolphins. And Tyrod Taylor is the week one quarterback for the Los Angeles Chargers. Just my thoughts. Now, if I, I, I don't know that Joe Burrow will get that kind of treatment. I just don't. Um, Cincinnati needs to turn the page quickly. Whereas Miami, I think, can slow play this thing. They've got so many draft picks. Um, they can, by the way. They've got three firsts. If they don't move a- at all and they just kind of go chalk, I don't expect that to happen. But they, they could significantly upgrade their offensive line in that first round. I'm not even sure they're taking a quarterback in that first round. I'm not. I'm not. I, I think there's a really good chance that that top 10 pick they have goes to a left tackle because they just haven't addressed it. It was one of the worst situations in all of football last year, and they just haven't addressed it. So that's me thinking they're not, they're not idiots. They know exactly what they need to do, and they need to do that, but at least in parallel with get, getting a rookie quarterback, but probably first. But the second they shipped Laramie Tunzel out the door last year for that ridiculous haul they got back, my thinking was, all right, well, they're not quarterback ready right now. Okay, that's an offensive line that's, that needs to gel and get themselves in a position to protect a rookie quarterback. So I don't think that first pick they have is going to be a quarterback, nor should it. I think, I think that they need to slow this thing down, get the best left tackle in, in, you know, in, in the draft, and then they've got two other first-round picks where they can slide up. Look, they might be able to go left tackle and then package those two first and slide up high and get Tua if that's what they want to do. I don't think that's their plan. Everything I'm hearing says Tua's not the guy in Miami, but what do we know? We're guessing. But that's a perfectly logical plan, and they should be considering the best left tackle. They're not getting the best quarterback, according to prospects, because Joe Burrow's going number one. So unless they're going to use those three picks to go to number one, which they've got about 72 hours to make that happen, then I think that's the plan. You go and get the best left tackle, and then you, you worry about the quarterback with picks after that. It's perfectly plausible, in my opinion. That's perfectly plausible. And that, to me, that's how I'm eyeing these teams, the Chargers, the Bengals, the Dolphins, even the Raiders. I don't love the Raiders, although the Raiders did a lot of work in free agency on their offensive line. That's one of, that was one of Mike Mayock's big moves when he walked in the door um, because he was dealt kind of a bad hand. Reggie McKenzie kind of blew the thing up before he got fired. And, uh, but Mayock's done a nice job with that. I don't really understand their quarterback situation, and it'll, it'll get even more questionable if they go with a quarterback in the draft somewhere, but... Uh, I do think that they're more stable. I just don't love the layout of the offensive line right now. It's definitely an area I think you can address. Um, the Bears, they lost Kyle Long to retirement. Not a ton of work in free agency in that regard. Some work, but not a ton of work. Um, brought in Jermaine Ifedi on a really, not, like basically a minimum deal off from Seattle. That could be a nice depth piece for them. Outside of that, you know, no free agent moves, no trades. It, I expect them, and they don't have a first-round pick, so I expect them somewhere early 
to address the offensive line because now they got to protect either Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky, probably Foles. And they've given up draft capital to acquire Foles <laughs> in a time when Mitch Trubisky is fully guaranteed. So they better do something with that line to make it better because the, the teams we're talking about here who have either addressed via trade or are going to address via draft the quarterback position are the, also the same teams who sat at the bottom of the offensive line rankings according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, those aren't accidents, right? I mean, quarterbacks that get sacked, it's not always an offensive lineman's fault. Generally, if you've got a quarterback who can't read or takes too long or doesn't, isn't mobile, a lot of things these days, right? One hand has to feed the other for sure, but there's a correlation. There's a correlation. And like I said, sitting in Buffalo and seeing the example that Brandon Bean took, two of, we're going to address it before we get them, we're going to address it when we get them, and we're going to address it after we get them. <laughs> in big ways, in big numbers. If you go and look at 2019's free agency and uh, filter to the Buffalo Bills, you'll see what I'm talking about. They really threw some depth onto that roster last offseason to the point of where they ended up keeping a couple of those guys this year on extensions. A couple of those guys had to walk. They ended up trading a right tackle, Wyatt Teller, to Cleveland last year because they just had a surplus. They, they've afforded themselves a surplus. I'm not seeing that at all with any of these teams right now. And that that concerns me, and that's the way, that's that's my question. That's my question to you on Monday before the draft. Is the team that is identified as taking a, ma- a major quarterback in this first round, are they ready? Are they ready for a quarterback? Or because if there's work to do, the only place they're getting it right now is either a draft, the draft, or or a trade. And good luck via trade right now, because there's just too many unknowns with this 2020 season. I don't think you're going to see teams just shopping left tackles. <laughs> okay. That's why I think the, the approach that I laid out for Miami makes sense. I know it's not going to be popular, right? You're going every, Everybody's going to say, no, no, just take Justin Herbert at five, get it over with, get the guy on the roster, and then figure it out from there. That's fine if you don't plan on playing him in 2020, and then you can address the offensive line again next year, next free agency, next draft, and go from there. That's fine. And th- that's why I'm also leaning towards Fitzpatrick being the guy this year for the Dolphins, which I don't think is the dumbest thing in the world. You're not winning. I understand Brady finally left the division, so you should be consi- you know, considering yourself as uh, contenders. But the Bills are real contenders, right? And the Jets are probably slightly under the Bills. And, of course, the Patriots aren't going to be terrible. They're going to be you know, above average to some degree. I think they're projecting eight and a half to nine wins still. The Dolphins are still the fourth team in the, in the division, even if they get Tua or, or Justin Herbert on that roster. That's what they're going to be considered. So there's no reason to push all in right now. So I just think, get your pieces, plug them in. When we get back to training camps, when we get back to, you know, being able to see how these things look in real time, assess your roster, understand what you are, and don't overthink it. Right? It's just, it's, it's not the kind of league where you go from the bottom all the way to the top. It's just not. Yeah, we see new teams get into the playoffs every year. So there's that, there's those middle, that, you know, the eight and eights and the nine, nine and sevens that kind of flip every couple of years. But you're not going from one and six, one and fifteen to Super Bowl. It's just not how this league operates. There's too many moving pieces. The rosters are too big. There's too many moving parts on an annual basis. Um, and I just think the Dolphins were bad, and they've shipped a lot of the guys out of town already. So start to plug and play your pieces back together. Start to build your puzzle back together. Don't try to do it all at once and throw two out there week one and say, "All right, hopefully we got enough." I just think that's reckless. And I think that's reckless for all these organizations, including the Bengals with Joe Burrow, because they haven't done enough either. 
Now, if they address something in the second round or slide back into the first round with a couple of picks and, uh, you know, bring in some reinforcements to that guard or, or, or right tackle position, great. But until they do that, I think it's going to be a lot of the same as what we've seen, and that's not a good recipe for Joe Burrow coming to town. Okay, that's enough football talk. Like I said, we're going to spend a lot of time on the draft Thursday for sure, and then uh, a little unique spin on things tomorrow before we uh, see how this thing all unfolds. Again, is your team ready for a quarterback, at least from an offensive line perspective? Let me hear your thoughts at SpotTrack. Always love to hear them on Twitter. Okay, let's uh, let's flip the switch here to basketball and bring in Scott Allen. Before we get to Scott, I want to thank our providing sponsor, Fantasy Pros. While most sports are currently at a standstill, it's never too early to start preparing for your fantasy football drafts, especially when the real draft is here. There's, there's no better resource out there than Fantasy Pros. With their flagship Draft Wizard product and Mock Draft Simulator, you can customize for any format you play. On mock drafts in a matter of minutes against realistic opponents and prepare, prepare for any scenario you may face when it's time to draft your teams for real. Visit fantasypros.com slash spottrack-nfl. Get a head start on your competition. It's really awesome to have everything in one place. And not just NFL, by the way. I've got baseball leagues in there. I've got a basketball league in there. I've got a hockey league in there. And as Scott mentioned last week, really awesome DFS optimizer. So you can check there in the morning see where the prices are, who's got values, who the high ceilings are for your DFS teams. All that stuff's coming back soon. Get yourself to fantasypros.com soon. Go to fantasypros.com slash track dash NFL. All right, let's bring in Scott and talk some basketball. Scott, welcome back to the show. I made a purchase this week that I had to spend some time on today. Sort of a quarantine impulsive reaction. Have you made any purchases? Have you seen any videos? Have you read any books that you normally would never have done, but because of six weeks of quarantining, you now have time to do it? Uh, I made a, a purchase yesterday getting into the, I got some wireless Beats headsets. i um, tired of having. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Shut wire- the kids up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they are noise canceling, and yeah. so I don't have to hear them. Yeah, so I, 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 have, I have maybe four pairs of those. So. <laughs> I have yeah. one for every room in the house, I, so I can I can understand with that. Yeah, drag my feet a little bit on it, and finally didn't <laughs> made the purchase. Uh, I, I've got a bunch of books that I've I've got stocked up here. Some sports ones, some non sports. Um, I mean, we we've made some purchases of you know plants and strawberries and vet, some yeah. vegetables to do with the kids too. Um, to keep them busy with the, the schooling and, you know, scientific stuff with that kind of. So I, uh, I was always going to buy this, but I figured I had two or three more years before I needed to before the, because the kids weren't really old enough to use it yet. And I didn't want to be selfish, but I decided to be selfish and I bought a basketball hoop today. Oh, nice. It's great. I spent a couple hours. Yeah. I spent a couple hours putting it together and it's going to be my go-to like 6 p.m., throw on the, some, some ear pods, head, head out there and just get away for a little bit out in the driveway. Yeah, a couple, a couple summers ago, we got that and Evan and I go out all the time. And I mean, the one day w- when quarantine started, we were out there at nine 30 and then it was like, Ooh, probably shouldn't have gone that early with some of the neighbors, yeah. but it's definitely a go-to to uh, just relieve some stress, shoot some baskets. Just and, get away. You know, Pretend to be whoever you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. So that's what I did this afternoon. Time to talk some real basketball, though. Uh, you want, I'll give you a choice. You want to talk about the documentary? 
You want to talk about some draft stuff, uh, or do you want to dive into these changes, these hiatus changes? Uh, let's go with the Bulls. Let's go with the yeah. Games. So I prefaced we'll I prefaced the intro here with some uh, some news that kind of just, just dropped. The ratings came in six point one million viewers for the last dance last night. Not shocking at all. I mean, no, not at all. It's the only thing that I told I, I mentioned. I flipped around just to see what was competing against it, and it, I thought it was funny that the sister ESPN station ABC had American Idol on, <laughs> which <laughs> you know, because I'm I would imagine that got crushed. This was the thing to watch. I think yeah. even if you weren't a huge sports fan, you're a, everybody was a Jordan fan at some point with the commercials, yeah, yeah. the sneakers. Mm-hmm. He just he, he he got so outside of the game. Space Jam. But and I do hope they get there. I hope there's a there's a, a real big part of this that's how big of a sour he gets. We saw some of it with the international piece, the the Paris setting. But uh, look, they got into the '97 team pretty good. And then the, the lead up to that, right? How, how they got to Pippen and Rodman. And we're going to get a whole lot more Robin, Rodman next week. But let's mm-hmm. focus on just sort of the nuts and bolts of this team from a financial standpoint. I know you spent some time putting it together, um, you know, without getting too deep because I don't, I don't want to take people back to 1997 financially. Although I guess we should with Jordan, right? Let's talk about how Jordan laid out these contracts throughout his career. Yeah, I mean, he he had the entry level contract, and then he signed that that was a, a reported uh, five year six point three million deal back when he signed nineteen eighty four. It ended up being a four year contract. The two club options uh, voided, and then he ended up uh, signing an ex- eight year extension for twenty five point seven million, which hurt him. Which hurt him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's we've talked about that with all these other yeah. sports, especially hockey right now. You get yourself locked into a price for that long, and there's no getting out. There's no now. There there was some some room for renegotiation back in those days in the '90s, but it didn't happen. It didn't happen with Jordan. There was no renegotiation of Jordan's contract, even though he was making the Bulls hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. Um, yeah, and that's why yeah. you can get to it here. That's why the the back end of this, the '96 to '97 season. He made what? <laughs> yeah, ni- 96, 97, he made just over 30. And then the 97, 98 was uh, just over 33. And these are years where the salary cap was under 30? Like Twenty. Yeah, it was. It was Tw- like 26. 26. So Jordan and, the, and his bird rights blasted past the salary cap by himself in those seasons. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of like a catch-up. It was, you, you know, we... <laughs> Look, I thought the the best part of this documentary so far, and it's young, was just how honest Jerry Reinsdorf was. Oh, I mean, he I basically said flat out, "Yeah, I couldn't believe Pippen. I told Pippen not to sign the deal. <laughs> That's what he told him flat out. Man, you shouldn't sign this deal." And Pip, Pippen t- looked him in the face and said, "I got to feed my kids. I need security. I want five years locked in to know that that you know my job and my family life is safe." It's an honest answer. But can you even – I can't even get my head there now knowing what we know about basketball. Uh, it's, come, it's come so far in the past 25 seasons that you can play half a season and your family's good. Half mm-hmm. a season. That's how crazy things have gone. The, the, the ninth player, the fourth guy sitting on the bench right now, is doing nothing and he's set for life. That's a reality. Yeah. 
That's a reality right now. And we're going to talk about, you know, that's why a lot of these decisions with, you know, guys not going to college, guys getting into the NBA as quickly as possible. This is why. Because back then, a guy like Scottie Pippen, who was maybe the, what, the 12th best player in, in the NBA? Oh, yeah. Has to, has to look at his GM and say, all right, just give me whatever you want, you'll give me. I'll take it. That's yeah. crazy. Can you imagine? Th- that would never happen now. I mean, he's essentially Paul George. Scottie Pippen yeah. is Paul George, who just demanded overnight, get me to the L.A. Clippers overnight. And it happened overnight. That mm-hmm. just happened last year. <laughs> Scottie Pippen had to take five for 17 because he was worried about having to feed his family in seven years. That's crazy. That's how far this league has come, and it's credit to David Stern. It's all credit to David Stern, who was involved in the middle of all this. He's going to be a big part of this documentary. There's no question, because the the way that he took Jordan and put that thing on steroids and became, and made it a generational thing, right? Who's my next version of this for the next 30 years? Uh, that that's coming for sure, because that's uh, that's what MJ was. He was like this. He was like this amoeba. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like Jurassic Park. You want to yeah. take that. You want to put it into a. Uh, you know, into a cylinder and you want to grow your own for the, for the next, however many decades you need. But uh, that's what we're getting into here is a guy who just abused the endorsement system. He was, he was underpaid. He and Pippen were aligned payment wise for the better part of this run, this dynasty. Yeah, they were. And then like, like you just mentioned, the, the Jordan numbers blew up at the end. Um, I want to turn to here. I, look, look, you can, you can go to at Spotrick on Twitter. I put put a bunch of these numbers up, including today, some more on Pippen, um, especially the fact that all of Pippen's contracts were signed with the Bulls. I love that. Yeah, they, they signed and traded him back when that wasn't really a thing. Even I mean, <laughs> it was kind of. And this is where I'm going. I want to get to Jerry Krause, who was a big part of <laughs> last night's documentary for a bad mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. I, I can't decide yet. Now I, I grew up in that era. I was a an 80s child so then you know I was a teenager in the 90s <clears throat> so this is right in my wheelhouse for like being addicted to this stuff so I knew I remember a lot of this and I, I remember reading candidly about how there was discourse between Phil Jackson but the way that I always read it and the way I remember it was that Phil was the monster and if you've if you've watched any of their documentaries especially about the Lakers stuff with Kobe and Shaq and Phil Phil's just a stubborn guy he's a brilliant guy Mm-hmm. to a fault, you know, and you can understand why he and Kobe, I mean, we did a whole special on Kobe last week. You can understand why he and Phil Jackson buttered heads at times. That's just a lot of knowledgeable, educated experience coming together and butting heads. Fine. Yeah, exactly. Jordan, was, Jordan was probably the same to some degree, but didn't it seem like this? And, and this is my takeaway from Michael's side of it last night. Jordan never cared about being the smartest guy in the room. He never cared about that. He probably was, especially when it came to basketball. But the only angle Jordan ever took with his front office and with his teammates was, I don't care what you do, right? The cocaine stuff was the best. I, I don't care if that's what, <laughs> I don't care if that's your life. I don't care who you're with. I don't care. None of that. You do the right thing on the basketball court and we're good. You do the right thing that it takes for me to, to me, for me to win, Right. You do your thing so that I win and we're good. To me, that's Jordan 110%. That's him. I, I don't care what you're like. In fact, I'm not even going to find out. I'm not going to go to bars. I'm not going to socialize. I'm going to be my own animal. I'm going to smoke my stogies in the, in the back room and watch a movie. That's me. But I'm going to bring it every night. 
I loved the golf story. Took Danny Ainge oh. out the night before the playoff game just to the, just to I, be able to get into his head, just to be able to say, "I'm going to dominate you tomorrow." He probably lost on purpose. Yeah. He probably lost the golf game on purpose yep. just to give him some some false confidence. I was, <laughs> even though the, the Celtics ended up winning the game, but that that to me that's. I was shocked that they had video oh, of that. I, I mean, it's just some of the footage that they have is out of two episodes is just fantastic. The decision to make this, to, to get this footage in 1997 is going to go down all time. Do you know what I mean? Like you, I, I realized that they probably thought they're going to be making this thing in like 2000, but it took 20 extra years to get done. But I, I mean, I hope that this breeds a whole new version of this. I hope that now people are following LeBron even more closely. Do you know what I, you understand what I'm saying? I do. Because no, I do. I want a Tiger Woods version of this. Yep. I want I want a LeBron version of this. I want a Peyton Man. We're not going to have that. I would love to know how Peyton got ready for games. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, but uh, yeah, you're right. That's the best part about this is that for well, some odd yep. reason, everything Jordan did this year, that year, was on video. Everything. Yeah. Well, the the one thing I also took away is these are the things that ESPN needs to be continued yeah. to build because they just do a fantastic job. The other thing that I, I thought was great was the amount of different people that they had. They had Obama. They had yeah. Will Bond. They had Chicago Smith, resident had, Obama. By the way, yeah. they didn't even right. they didn't even capture him as former president of the United States. So <laughs> just the. Every perspective that you could, yeah, they've they've got it so far. So I'm I'm really interested to see wh- where the next eight episodes go. Yeah, I mean, let's look at '97 just real quick financially. So Jordan's making yep. 33 and change. Yep. Pippen's making less than three. Is anybody else making anything? Or did yeah, they- well, so in in re- respect of not Michael, yeah. So Michael in '97 had 33. The next highest was Rodman. At four six, crazy. Ron Harper was at four and a half. Tony Kukoc was at four and a half. Luke Longley, just under three point two, and then Pippen at two seven and change. And then you've got some other. Everyone else is lower than two. <laughs> Unbelievable. So ninety seven, the salary cap is just under twenty seven million dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, twenty six nine. Over a hundred players that year earned between one and two million. Sixty earned between two and three. So, so a few of those Bulls players, Bulls players were considered above average, essentially. But you're you're talking about a hundred and seventy players making between one and three million in the, in the entire NBA at that point. So you've got. So let's say the average salary is probably two and a half, maybe less, maybe two point two five. Let's just say that's about right. It looks to be that's about it. Jordan's making 30 million more than that. Yes. 30 million more than average. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the conversation we always point to when we're talking about players like Mahomes. Right? If there was yeah. no hard yeah. cap, if you could bird right Patrick Mahomes and his cap didn't affect you going over. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you could f- take one player and use, I, I know you've had this idea in the past where you could designate one player and either that you got a ridiculous cap discount for him or his cap just flat out didn't count. 
Mm-hmm. I know you've 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 had yep. that idea before in the past with yeah. ways we could modify the NFL cap structure. If that was the case, right? If you could just say, "All right, it's time to pay Mahomes," and there's no barometer, there's no ceiling. Is it fifty? I think it's fifty. Yeah, uh, probably. Take, and I think, and maybe it's not. I mean, the, I mean, you, the only if, red flag is that ink is that injury he had. Well, if you take it towards uh, the NBA side, I mean, people have said what if there was no yeah. uh, maximum, would Durant go for or Steph Curry go for 50, 60, whatever it may be? Yeah, it had to be a free agent. So I think Durant's probably the right guy. Mm-hmm. Well, now the injury would have set that back a little bit. But I mean, if you're talking about a, I mean, Kawhi, right? Kawhi wins a championship. It hits a market, right? What's Kawhi making right now if there's no max? Yeah, I, I, it's interesting as hell because the fact that the Bulls decided to go this route. All right, and I mentioned I was going to get to Jerry Cross. Let's finish on this. We're going to have eight more weeks here. <laughs> Whatever. What is it? How many more weeks? Four more weeks? Is it a five-week series? It's ten, 10 episodes. I think they're doing the next eight, right, every Sunday from oh, here They're not on doing out. back-to-back? They're not doing two every week like they did? I don't think so. I, I could be wrong on yeah, that. But I, I think I they are. I think they're doing – two episodes a week for five okay. weeks. Okay. So we're going to have a, a good month here to talk about this and kind of dial into it. Um, but for I mean, the, the salary stuff was just low hanging fruit in these episodes. In fact, I don't, oh, I don't think they went into it enough. No, maybe Jordan didn't want to talk about it because you start talking about the fact that Jordan's making 33 and Pippen's making 2.7. And sure it's going to come out. You cre- well, it did. Cause I tweeted it in the middle of the show. <laughs> No, I mean, in the, in, the episodes, in the episodes itself, I bet you we start to see some animosity and that kind of stuff more. You think? I think so. But but this was it. And let's, this is what I wanted to get to. So if you've listened to any radio shows or podcasts today, Monday, the day after the, the documentary here, everybody's talking about Jerry Cross. And you can mm. call him whatever name you want. And Jordan had plenty of them. And Pippen had more, it sounds like. But... Yeah. This is the question I want to ask, and I'm going to give you two answers. I'm going to softball this. Why do you think Jerry Krause had to break this up and and publicly say to everybody, to the players, to Phil Jackson, to the world, this is the last year? What, why can you imagine that happening right now? I mean, it's kind oh. of it's kind of the discussion we had last week with Matthew Stafford. Like mm-hmm. like as much as we think it's logical for them to draft Tua and then and then and then just keep him on the roster. Can you imagine having to go to Matthew Stafford a, a couple minutes later after drafting Tua and saying, "Hey, we're taking we're taking your predecessor. We're going to we're going to give you one last shot here." All right, and then we're going to try to find a trade partner after this year. This just doesn't happen. That stuff just doesn't happen. Stafford's mm-hmm. going Stafford's going to say, "Get me out of here tomorrow." I I I'm not staying for this. And that's the reality of the sports world we live in now. So you're telling me that before the season, there was just one-on-one discussions with the GM. I mean, they they were pretty candid about the Phil Jackson one. They drove to Montana, or whatever, I think it was Montana, Dakota, was Montana, I think. He walked into Phil Jackson's house and said, here's a $6 million salary. It's a one-year deal. This is going to be your last deal with the, with the Chicago Bulls. Can you imagine that right now? Yeah. No, I, can't. I thought that was crazy. So why? Why in the world uh, is Reinsdorf just BSing us? Was this generally when that happens, it's coming from the top down. It's I, I'm not paying for this anymore. These guys are getting old. 
you know, these things don't last forever. I'm not paying for it anymore. You're going to be the fall guy, Jerry Krause. That, that, to me, that's angle number one, that Jerry Krause was just the fall guy, right? Every, every, every owner needs a fall guy. Every coach needs a fall guy. You know how this works. Mm-hmm. Um, is Jerry Krause just the guy who was told to do this and told it's going to be your idea? Deal with it, <laughs> right? Is that possible? Or is Jerry Krause really a monster? Can it be a little bit of both? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't think it can. So you're saying the the whole front office was on the same page? That's what you're saying? I I don't know because there was no pushback from Reinsdorf. Clearly, he would have said it last night. He would have yeah. said it on the documentary. This isn't something I wanted to see happen, I, but Jerry Krause was avid in making this happen. There was none of that. So you're, maybe you're right. Maybe everybody was well, just on board with this. And I, and as I was watching, I, I was thinking. I wonder how how different the documentary would be if he was alive and oh, of course. I mean, how much is well? We know he would have told it like it was. (laughs) He would have. Jesus, he didn't hold anything back. He got in the press conferences after the game and said, "Yeah, we thought about trading Scotty last year." I mean, (laughs) that would that that is social media suicide right now. You might as well just you might as well just move because your house is going to get burned down at this point. (laughs) But what I'm saying is. What can be said now if if it was behind closed doors yeah. and, and say what you want now? So when, you think there's... You that's think, why I say it might be a little bit of both. You think because Jerry Krause has passed, everybody can kind of take the angle that he was the bad guy easily, huh? Yeah, I think so. All right. Let's I just say he's say, a bad I guy. To it's, say that, but it's easier to say he's a bad guy. It is. Or the bad guy. It sounds like he was a great guy. And it also... And we know that he was a hell of a GM because mm-hmm. he put this thing together and he picked some pieces that none of us would have picked. None of us. Uh, it's just a fact. If you go through the, the resume and you understand how this thing evolved, um, look, there's a, I was thinking about this last night cause I, you know, I, you can't shake the golden state warriors to this at all. They're just not there. And there's a lot of moving parts. So they're not a true dynasty, but the, the, the three, right. Draymond, Steph and clay. We, we think that these guys are going to give us probably 10 years. And if they can make that happen and win a couple of more with the plug and play that's happened, like what if Andrew Wiggins actually works out? I was thinking about that. That's, that would be something you could relate back to this Bulls team, bringing somebody in that just was a nobody essentially. And it just clicks with this, with, with this team. Mm-hmm. That's what Jerry Krause did three, four times throughout this thing, brought in the absolute right piece and lightning in a bottle. I'm going to give him all that credit. And then this is, the, this is how I'm going to take. Because I'm, I'm choosing that it's easier to make him a, b- a bad guy right now. Here's what I'm going to call this. He's a coward. He's a coward. It's easy as hell to maneuver a salary cap when you got guys making $3 million. When Michael Jordan's making $3 million, which is what he was making until 1996, $3 million. When he's making that and Scottie Pippen's making less than that, it's easy as hell to plug and play pieces around that. But the second Jordan moved to 30, and then 33 respectively over between 96 and 97, things got difficult, really difficult. Of course they got difficult. You know what I mean? One man is taking you $5 million over. One guy. You got to fill 14 more spots in the roster. So, of course, that got difficult. I think he just got – I think he, he was sick of it. He, he, did, he did it for two seasons. He almost did it for one. He tried to get out of it in 97. He tried to trade Pippen. He tried to get completely out of it. Um, and 
I think it was hard work and it is hard work. That's ridiculous. That's, that's a 200 million cap in the, in the NFL and Mahomes is making 150 of it. <laughs> that's what that is. All right. Yeah. And you got to fill a ton of roster spots with basically absolutely nothing. That's hard work. And I think Jerry Krause was banking on his legacy because this team is his legacy. You know what I mean? Nobody remembers what happened yeah, after this. Of course it went downhill after Jordan left. Of course. But he had he wanted to supplant his legacy right there and cut it off. He wanted to cut the chicken's head off and kill it on the spot. Mm-hmm. No runner, you know what I mean? He didn't want any remnants of this thing carrying into a rebuild at all. He wanted to cut it off, start over. Because having one guy at 30 just isn't good for math. <laughs> That's not good math. No. Um so I think I think it was a cowardly move, completely. I think things got difficult. He was used to doing things for a bunch of years. He was successful at it, so I don't blame him for that. But when things changed and evolved and got tough because your superstar was finally making the money he was supposed to make, he bailed. That's my take on this. I think he was a coward. So okay. he's a hell of a GM. That w- that's a hell of a team to have your name on attached to. And uh, you can talk about the egos and everything that came up in the documentary. That's fine. I look at it as he just didn't want to do the math. <laughs> he wanted to make <laughs> he wanted to make the math a heck of a lot easier and start over with rookie contracts and three four million dollar salaries. That's fine. I mean Jordan was old, right? Yeah, he was old, but he wasn't he wasn't basketball old. Nope. Anything else? Nope, that's it. I'm looking I'm forward good. to Robin, man. Robin's oh, Robin's number three here. I'm looking forward oh. to it. I can't wait. We're not going to have too much to talk financially, although there's. I mean, he bounced around a lot, and that's always fun to talk about. So we'll for, we'll for sure hit on that next week. But uh, wanted to make sure it got out there that this is the most important thing I want I want to finish on with this. Jordan and and Pippen were paid all, in parallel, almost entirely up until those ninety six ninety seven seasons. Yeah. So were. you can say that Pippen made a mistake signing that deal. He did that five for seventeen, but Jordan made a bigger mistake signing the eight year deal. And that's not getting talked about because Jordan's the guy <laughs> being interviewed in this thing, right? He's the one sitting at the chair with a, with a scotch next to him. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to rip him for signing the eight-year deal. They should because that's crazy. And LeBron ain't signing eight years. No, <laughs> not wrong. at all. LeBron barely wants the one. So um, he Jordan forfeited his control. He, he completely did. And that's uh, that's a mistake that he made. That's a mistake that his team made, his his agencies and things like that. Um, and the pushback is easy. Basketball money was nothing to him. <laughs> it was just nothing. I mean, the dude made so much money from Nike while he was playing and is still making 10 times that yes. since he's, since he retired. So you can understand there was a lot of supplemental income coming in, but from a basketball financial standpoint, which is what we deal in that eight year deal was a mess. So they both screwed it up. They both are paid really low for a bunch of this. Jordan got his $63 million payday to finish it off and the rest is history. So really cool stuff. This documentary has uh, so far so good, right? Lived up to it? Yes, absolutely. Let's get to some nerdier stuff. Uh, Let's talk about about the G League situation. Yeah. For many Uh, who don't know, Scott, the G League is essentially a minor league system um, that is indirectly attached to the NBA. Right. I mean, it is and it isn't right. There's not like a, there's not like one team for, with with a G League team anymore. Right. Or, or are we it's, at that point now? We're at that point one for one. I think there might be one team that is still coming on, but pretty much they're all one for one at this point. And it's 
they send guys down for rehab or okay. guys that aren't getting time, they'll send them down. Um, and then, I mean, there's the two way player where teams can bring a player up on that two way that won't count against their cap. So, I mean, they're using it as a minor league system. Is it like a practice squad in the NFL where the Warriors can sign a guy off the Lakers G league team pretty kind of freely? Uh, that I, I'm not a hundred percent sure of. I know that guys that are signed to two ways are, are that team's player. So they're under a two way contract and those contracts can be converted from the two way into a standard contract. Um, I, I believe that players that are on the G league teams themselves uh, they can be signed off those teams to other teams. Yeah. So if they chose to, here's how it works, Scott. So it's, it's kind of a combination of both the things we were saying. So the way that the G league essentially classifies themselves as players belong to the league, they don't belong to a team. Even if they're aligned with a farm team, a system, mm-hmm. um, they they belong to the G league. So any, okay. any of the 30 teams can pick any of the, th- any of those players at any point in time. It's basically just like an Academy. Um, which is cool, which is cool. Yeah. And it's, it's been a couple of years now and these guys get some run in the, in the, in the off season, a little bit, things like that. We see a bunch of these players come up and play with the big boys and there's some superstars. Look, there's been some names too. I mean, Siakam was a G league star, right? I have that right. I think Siakam mm-hmm. came up from the G league and, uh, yeah. And we, there's a couple of bigger names that are going to make teams because the NBA teams are going to start to use this like a true minor league system soon, especially as it keeps evolving. Yeah, he was there for one year. Yeah, I, I, he he was a uh, a summer league guy who got a ton of run when uh, ESPN started to, put, to televise that stuff, and Toronto basically couldn't keep him down there. They had to sign him up there, and the rest is mm-hmm. history. He's an, he was an MVP candidate the past couple of years. So that's the kind of talent that's getting to the G League, or is at least being held in the G League. But like, I I, I kind of just buried the lead. Now we got guys in high school <laughs> saying. Look, I don't need I don't need college basketball. And there's going to be a lot of this until the NBA changes their decision in a couple of years. But essentially the number one prospect, high school prospect, right? Has decided he's not going to college, he's going right to the G League. Can you explain well, how that's happening? Yeah, explain yeah. the story. I think I kind of missed that up a little bit. Yeah, it, it it's actually he's not going directly to a G League team. He's going to a it's it's like between the new G League pathways and the college path, it's actually – I did some reading and listening uh, on this over the last few days because it seemed kind of interesting and different. And I originally thought he was going to the G League just as you thought. But it's it's a system where he's going to go into this developmental program. I guess from what I've read and heard, him and his agent negotiated with the NBA – what? to go into this and they're going to, it's all, uh, it, they're all building it right now. So <laughs> he, he, this, this kid, Jalen green, uh, he is going to be on a team essentially with mixed vets, other potential players that are coming out of high school, like this Isaiah Todd kid that, uh, has signed as well. And they're going to play 
t- between 20 to 25 teams all around the world. So they're going to play some G League teams that will be exhibition only. So is They'll this a lot like AAU teams. then, Scott? It's sort of like a an academy, but not calling it an academy because there's no education. But they're getting paid. But he's getting paid. So that's the difference. So that's gets, why it's not AAU. How, so how is he, this? How is this legal? So he's getting paid, and there's a lot of incentives in in this. Okay. So they'll get incentives for community events and life their life skills program that they have in place. Um, but there is a base salary, but like Jalen green, his negotiation, including incentives can have him making upwards of $500,000. Okay. So in comparison, zero experience for a minimum is just under 900,000. So is the NBA directly involved in this? Yes, they are. That's mind boggling. So yeah, dire- directly, uh, uh, th- this is all NBA, and they're sort of giving the uh, uh, middle finger to. Well, they're going the to anyway. Rates. They're they're going to anyway, right? I mean, twenty twenty two, we think, is when the high schoolers will be allowed eligible for the NBA draft. Yeah. So, I mean, what this kid is doing is he's essentially going to go in. He's going to train with actual vets that are at the end of their career. And all in this other high school kids that they can persuade to come in, they're gonna. You're gonna have kids leaving high school for this. Yeah, I mean, if you're in the top five coming out of high school, I this a definite avenue if you're making between two hundred fifty. Yeah, five hundred junior in high school. Whereas going to college, you're getting nothing. Maybe with some of the state rules, they'll they can get some of those uh, likeness you know, commercials or whatever. I was just going to ask it, who else is involved. Did you, did you see any names? I mean, is there a shoe company involved here? Is there, <laughs> I, no, I ha, I have not heard or seen. It sounds like they're, this is like really new that they're just, they're trying to I mean, put this together. They're trying to get players. They're trying to figure out who the head coach is going to be. Um, but the thing that is, they're still eligible after this one year to go into the draft. So they're bypassing the one and done in college. They're getting like Jalen Green. He's going to get paid. They're they're probably going to do some kind of television rights with ESPN or whoever to have this (laughs) on so that, you know, this kid, you know, Jalen Green, you know, Isaiah Todd and whoever else they bring into this. And then uh, they're associated to no team with this. Okay. So they go into the draft. He could be number one draft and go to whoever is there. Okay. This is good stuff. Here's the question. You probably can't answer it in your estimation though. Having done the research, do you think this is where the NBA is going to go? Are they not going to let high schoolers be eligible immediately for the draft? Are they going to force them to go here first for a year? Because I have to tell you, I think that's a phenomenal idea. Not so much for the basketball, but for the life skills part of it. Mm-hmm. Learn how to handle your, you're about to get a million and a half dollars fully guaranteed in, over a two year deal, right? I mean, that's the average rookie contract. Let's talk about what to do with that. Let's talk about the right people to hire. Well, let's talk about, you know, wh- when you're eligible for your rookie max extension and, and let's talk about nutrition and health and how it's going to work and travel taxes. And, yes. Like I, I think it's a phenomenal idea because that is the one thing you're, you're losing. And I'm not going to say, Zion Williamson got, you know, sat down in classes and got this kind of education at Duke. He probably didn't, but he probably had a bunch of people around him to help him with that already. 
But Zion Williamson also wasn't, I mean, what was he, 17? Mm, was he yeah. 18? Is he 19 now? Mm. You know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Let's say that you got a 17 or a 16-year-old yeah. kid. He's 19. So he was 18 in Duke. No, he was 17 at Duke. Okay, so it's like Zion. It's like Zion. These kids don't know anything. Mm-mm. These kids have barely taken it in an accounting class, if that. I think this is a phenomenal idea. Now, I don't know if it's going to fly. I don't know if the NBA PA right. is going is to work with this. But I, you, I have to imagine that if the NBA is involved in this, that there's a reason. There's an underlying well, reason, right? I, yeah, I, and I agree with your point. Um, I think if the NBA is going down this path, they have some reason that they're doing it, and they're going to want it to work. They, they, they're going to, if Jalen Green goes into this program and for some reason he doesn't grow, he doesn't pan out, sure. you know, or he tells other high school kids the experience that he has, if it's not good, then it, it's going to be a flop in the NBA. It, it just isn't going to proceed. But if it works out, then you may have kids want to go that route. And to your point, maybe this is their underlying yeah thing to they're doing it now in preparation for that 2022 and they may come in and say all right we're going to do this is the system that is going to be in place for see this scares me place the one and because the idea of high schoolers going to the draft didn't scare me because it was going to be maybe what three to five at most on an annual basis there were just there just aren't that many kids who are rated high enough to get themselves into a two-round draft it's just not possible you know what I mean? Um, although, you know, not being drafted and going to a G League is also can make you some money. So I'm not going to say that it's not there's not going to be more than that. But the idea of going from high school to the NBA draft, because it's such a risk, that didn't scare me. But this, if this evolves, this little bridgeway path, this is going to start taking above average players away from college basketball. It's not just going to be your Zions. <laughs> Right, because mm-hmm. we all expect that the Zion's are just never going to college once the NBA opens that door back up. That's and I'm fine. I think most of us are fine with that. It's going to stink around March Madness to not have super superstars there, but to some degree, it's going to it's going to normalize college basketball a little bit, right? You're going to take away those one and doneers. You're going to take away that star power, and you're going to mm-hmm. you're going to level the playing field a little bit more, which is I think a good thing for college basketball. But if this thing exists and evolves. And people can make $250,000 as top 50 prospects, which I think that's what that Isaiah Todd kid is. He is not. Oh, sorry. He's 13th. 13th. All right. All right. So let's say, so top 15 gets you 250. Let's say top 25 gets you 150. That's still getting kids out of us. That's still, that's, I'm, I'm guessing you're not making that much from Kansas, right? <laughs> I mean, you're making something, but you're probably not making $150,000. So right. that's going to be troublesome. If you start taking, you know, yeah, and twenty to twenty-five to thirty kids away from college basketball every year, that's going to start to add up. That's, you know, that's one or two per major program in the game. That's that's too much to me. That's too much. So there's concern here for this. Yeah, from what I've read and, and understand, right now, it's just a select few high school. St- players that are going to be going into this. Was there anything um, about the tryout process, Scott, or the invitation process? 
I, I didn't see anything about that. Okay. But we'll, we'll try to follow up on that for sure. But it is definitely going to be an interesting path to see where this goes. And like you said, how much it does affect the the college if it go they do go down this road. I, I think it's great that it's a developmental program. Yeah. But the fact that it is a developmental program means that they don't have to go to classes. Right. They're, 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 they're literally playing basketball probably – eight hours a day or, you know, doing training, weight training, doing uh, nutritional training. They're doing things that they would do on a college team, but without the education aspect. So um, you would assume that the growth of those players should be probably an exponential growth, essentially. Maybe I'm saying that wrong. No, no, I get uh, it. I get it. All right, we'll try to follow well, up on this because this is yeah. uh, this is probably not going away. It's probably something we should keep an eye on. All right, real quickly, Scott, let's no, switch I, gears. I don't think I don't think so. No, I, I mean, think the I, fact that we had two within the yeah. within days of each other saying that they were going into this. So yeah, but the, definitely the involvement of the NBA is extremely telling. It is. <laughs> it means that a it's going to be properly funded, and b there's some other reason this thing exists. Okay, quickly. Uh, the NBA yeah. had to come down with some changes, as many of these leagues are going to have to do as this hiatus continues. Uh, big changes. Is this what you expected? And can you lay out in, in kind of outline fashion what happened here with player salaries? Let's start there, I guess, player salaries. So the player salaries, they agreed to give back 25% of their salaries. Um, is that through- is that per paycheck, Scott, or is that right off the top Whatever we were going to make for the rest of the year, you're t- you, we're not going to make 25% of that. Do you, do you have any idea? Or is it going to be starting May 15th, 25% of that paycheck is gone? That. Okay. So it's on. So the second the league comes back, this thing can stop. Right? Correct. This is a temporary. I, 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 what I understand, yes. This is a temporary pay cut to get, to get us through the hiatus. Okay. So 25% off the... Bi-weekly they originally, paycheck. Yeah. yeah, NBA originally wanted 50%. They negotiated with the uh, NBA PA and got it down to 25%. Okay. Um, so that's where that stands. Okay. Any, any other things that were impacted or uh, what is this going to do for the salary cap? I mean, I mean, I know you did some research on this. Was the, was the tone of the articles that you read and things like that and the people you talked to, was it we're we're taking into account the fact that the season's not coming back. Like, is there preparation being made for 2021 from a financial standpoint, from a told contract standpoint? Uh, what's going to happen in that regard? Do you know? So, from from what I understand, it sounds like they're they're planning for still completing this season and having next season. Uh, everything would just shift. Okay. Um, based on what could happen. Uh, the projected salary cap for next season was around 115. The projected salary cap for 2021 was around 125 million. Those caps, depending on how things oh, I can't imagine. pan out, those caps would possibly drop and stay at 109 that we have right I now. I think that's the sensible thing to do. So we're talking impactful. Yeah. Uh, scenarios which we'll lay out here um 
so that that's where it sounds like it's probably going to go is where it's going to be a, a, a flat cap for the next couple of years. Um, so how that would impact is let's take a look at rookie max extensions that just happened last year. Um, so those extensions are based on a percentage of the cap when they signed them, they were assuming that the percentage of the cap was going to be based on 115. Now that it would be based on 109, that's going to be uh, quite a bit of a loss, quote unquote loss, for some of these players. So like Ben Simmons and Jamal Murray, they signed a quote unquote five-year, $170 million contract based on the percentage of the cap. That would fall to around five-year, $158 million. So – uh, and that's if they keep it at the the flat 109. So th- those players stand to have lost somewhere between eight and twelve million dollars, oh. depending on where it may fall. Oh, man. Siakam, he didn't go with the five year max. He went with a four. So he signed a four for 130. His would fall to a four for 122. So he would lose between six and eight million dollars, depending on where things fall. So that's the the, the implications of. Those rookie max. Yeah, I, I uh, look. We've had a lot of discussions about aligning salaries and contracts with percentages of the cap and how the league has control over that and how dangerous that can be. But we've also, because the NBA has grown exponentially so much year over year, generally the conversations have been: shouldn't other leagues do this? Well, mm-hmm. this is a, this is an obvious example of why you shouldn't do it. So, so let me put this back to you, Scott. My original thought two and a half minutes ago was, yeah, they should just keep it. They should keep 109 and just push this thing into next year, which is the sensible thing to do with finances. Don't don't get yourself under. Just continue on as as if you've been operating this whole time. I think I'm wrong. And let me tell you why I think I'm wrong. The, the cap needs to rise. I'd say at least to 112. It's got to go up three million, in my opinion, for the integrity of this game. Because if you let it fall, six million, and you just—I mean—if you chop twelve million dollars off of Ben Simmons' contract because of an unfortunate situation, and it's of course this was something not something they can plan for, but it is something you can insure. It is something you can insure, and I think the league needs to take some insurance out on itself here and say, "All right, we got to we got to find money from elsewhere and keep this cap rising." It's, it is vital to their league because you can't have the structure of the cap and the structure of contracts failing because of this kind of a situation. Because, yeah, because, well, then, because all you're saying is we can't control it down the road either. But if you, if you decide we're, we're going to find money from, from, you know, from the banana stand, we're going to take money from the back of the banana stand, and we're going to make sure this cap keeps rising so that our players are, are further compensated as they would have been, I think that's the right move from this league standpoint, and this league can afford it. Let's be honest. The revenue has been ridiculous for this league. Mm-hmm. They can afford it. Yeah, they took a hit with, with China, and they took a bigger hit with China. Let's, let's double down on that. But uh, I think that's the right thing to do is, is to, in some fashion, like I said, maybe not $6 million, but I think $3 million, that cap's got to rise because there's just too many things that could go wrong if you, if you have this example. Yeah, I agree. Now, if we look at 2021 Supermaxes, 
Damian Lillard, he mm. signed that extension two years ahead of his free agency period. Right. So the John signed, Wall effect. Yeah. <laughs> well, he signed when he signed, he was signing at 35% of the cap. So he would be at four years, 196 million. Wow. If, if we stayed flat all the way through to 2021, uh, that would be a four-year, $171 million. He would have lost $25 million, $25 million if it stays flat. And I realize nobody's crying for a guy about to make $171 million, no. but $25 million is no, no. joke. That's yeah, no joke. That's well, what and, I'm saying. And all they and have then, to do is keep the cap rising. That's all they have to do. I, I think it's the right thing little, to do. Yeah, it's the right thing. If this is how you structure your contracts, then you've got to do right by your league and find money yeah. elsewhere. Um, so on top of that, Giannis, he's the big guy that everyone's been talking oh, about. Milwaukee here. can get the this, discount this summer. He could sign a two year uh, or his max extension two years early would kick it in 2021. Right. So I did some math breakdown on this uh, for comparisons. So right now it's, it was projected before 125 million. That works out to be a five-year, $254 million contract. If it stays flat, that would be a five-year, $222 million contract, which is a difference of $32 million. Now, that's if he, that's if he signs now this versus summer. This, this, if he signs this summer. This summer right. Yeah. Um, which nobody expects now, him to do. No, I don't think so. No. But in comparison, if he waited yep. until he was a free agent in 2021. <laughs> um, Look at these numbers. Go ahead. He, if he signs with the Bucks, he could sign for five for the 222 that I said. But with a new team, it would be a maximum of four years for $141 million. So you have a difference of $81 million. Almost $81 million if he decides to become a Laker. Right. That's incredible. Yeah. All right. That's going to be a must see. Do you agree with so, me or do you think it's crazy? No, I, I think here, here's where I, this goes into my next bullet section. So I, I agree that the cap needs to, if they can go up a little bit, even if it's a million or two, because how the NBA usually structures these contracts is they, the salaries escalate from year to year. You do get some salaries where they're they're decreasing from year to year. Okay. Um, but the fact that they're increasing means that teams that were budgeting for 115 million or 125 million two years out, that space is not there. So next year, they're essentially losing six million dollars worth of cap space. So teams that had cap space, yep. they lose that. Teams that don't have that cap space that they just won't have it, but that's going to impact free agency. We've already talked about mm -hmm. how free agency, this see this upcoming free agency is, is not a stellar group of players. That just means that there's even less money to go out and sign those players as it is. So one of the things that we've talked about, and it, it, it could be one of the consequences is you, you see more signing trades to have the movement, but the fact that these salaries increase is going to hurt some teams. So, for example, Golden State, Philadelphia, yeah. Brooklyn, they, 
they just signed massive contracts yeah, Brooklyn, that, right. have, that have salaries that are going to hit a lot next year. I mean, um, so their taxes are going to go up even more next year if it flatlines because they were assuming that the tax threshold was going to go up as well. So maybe, so maybe Scott, maybe that's what they fix. Maybe they allow the threshold, the, the tax threshold to increase, even though the cap doesn't. Maybe, but I, it's usually a, a parallel effect. You can't Whatever. have teams paying taxes because the coronavirus kept the salary cap at bay. But you can't do I, that. To me, that's BS to your, to your, to your constituents. Look, the, yeah. I just looked it up. The, the, the NBA cap has not risen and has not dropped in nine years. It's been nine mm-hmm. consecutive years of increase. That's not a, yeah. <laughs> that's not a one-off. Those are GMs sitting in, in, in rooms saying, all right, I know that I can budget for at least this, right? It's going to increase at least this. Uh, you, you can't do that. And this isn't a year-to-year thing. These guys are budgeting it out three, four-year windows. That's how all the right. sports work now. Mm-hmm. So you can't just... Well, that's them. what I mean with this. I know. You, you, all your numbers so, here like, are valid, but you can't just... I know it sounds like I'm whining and that, that you could just do it for one year and then get over it. You can't. For all the reasons no, this, you've laid out here, you, you can't yeah. throw that monkey wrench in and expect GMs just to be able to react to it. You have to keep this thing rolling. Well, right now, Golden State... Their projection for luxury tax next year would yeah. be uh, tw- like $26 million, but that's without exercising club options or dealing with non-guarantees. So Golden That's State's their about fee, 26. right? That's their tax fee. That's their tax fee. Yeah. Philadelphia is at 13 and Brooklyn's at about 6 But again, that's not with full rosters and, and taking on the club options or non-guarantees. Yeah, this can't happen. Stuff. So if that flatlines, those taxes are going to go up even more. So that's why, you know, I'm a proponent with when these salaries are structured, that if they can make them flat salaries or they're decreasing, because in the event that these projections fall out like they may here, these some of these teams are going to be really strapped. I mean, you're they're only going to be able to sign minimums. I mean, some of these teams are already only signing minimums and those exceptions, but that's another point. Those exceptions, the mid-level, the biannual, all and those And it's not like you can restructure current salaries. It's not like the Brooklyn Nets can right. restructure Durant's salary next year to account for this situation. It's not right. like the NFL where you can just push money down the pipeline. But but the new thing is with these these exceptions is it's based on the cap itself. All of it. Yeah. So even the rookie scale. Right. Um, but these exceptions, they're, they were assuming that an exception may go up a million and a half or $2 million or however much they based on this cap. Now those exceptions are flatlining just as much. So the only thing that you, you flatline all the things that are based on a percentage but all the salaries that were signed yeah, that's this what I'm year saying. and last year are still going up. That's what I'm saying. Durant's that's, salary is already locked in. That, it's, that's going to be a nightmare. So in Brooklyn's just years. SOL. Ugh. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. So, so, so it'll be, they have to tread lightly, I think, with what they do. Yeah. But that's why they haven't came out and gave any hard deadlines or said we're coming back here or anything like that because they're still – trying to figure it out now knowing those dates are going to be important yeah. so if if the regular season 
ended right now and they started the playoffs tomorrow, there's a lot of implications. One, players that were already signed to rest of the season uh, contracts, they can't sign any more of those. They can't waive anybody because they're in the playoffs. Rosters are locked once the playoffs hit. So none of that can happen. Luxury tax calculations are frozen on the last day of the regular season. So anyone that is above the luxury tax threshold would get nailed. Um, so any idea which teams those are, or should we tweet that out later? Uh, yeah, I do. We've got Portland um, for sure, right? Yeah. You've got your usuals. You've got your Portland, you've got your Miami heat. You've got Oklahoma city thunder. You have, um, Orlando magic and Minnesota Timberwolves. Wow. They, the the magic and the Timberwolves. Those are not the usuals, by the way. (laughs) Well, those aren't the first three are, but Orlando and Minnesota, they are 400,000, just over 400,000, above the luxury tax. So, I mean, that could have been, they could have maneuvered it yeah, out or, or maneuvered somehow to potentially get down. So yeah, implications with that luxury tax calculation, if they did decided not to have a regular season hmm. to f- finish off. Another s- situation would be is when the league year starts. Right. So it usually starts where the moratorium hits June 30th, July one, if they push it back to say September one, that that has huge implications for player and team options because usually those are due to be exercised or declined by June 29th. Right. So that is a situation where they would have to collectively bargain to have those allowed to be shifted back as well. Uh, guaranteed salary dates, they have guaranteed dates for the upcoming season uh, that hit between June and uh, end of June and beginning of August. So those would have to get moved back. Is there any mention of how late this season could go in comparison to when next season would start? No. And they're not saying because they, they don't want to put hard dates out there that are going to, um, that they're going to have to hold to. It's just going to be so weird. Do we know when the draft is yet? End of July. Well, that, that is another stipulation that they may have to move back the draft have to as well, because some of these a lot of these college kids aren't able to work out They're They're not ready for. I'm not even um, thinking that I'm thinking and, um, the season's going to be going on. <laughs> right. I mean, so. Yeah, that and that's usually like June 20th, 21st around right. there. That's going to have to get moved back. Then you have a lot of trade exceptions. So right. a lot of those trades go official July 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th. So we're talking Golden State has a large exception for 17 over $17 million from the Eagle Dollar trade that they could use to take on someone that has, say, a $15 million sure. salary. Um, and they wouldn't have to send anything back. Oklahoma City has a, a over $10 million exception. And then there's a handful of like 10 other exceptions that would be set to expire, but those would have to potentially get moved back. Um, and then the last thing is incentives. So you had a lot of players that, not a lot, but you have a few players that have incentives that are based on total minutes, or percentage of shooting. And I, I've read that there are players that, 
based on percentage of shooting, they needed to have 35%. And when the it cut off, they were at 34.7 and they don't round up. Yep. It's, it's a hard percentage. So you have guys that are very close to the, the minutes threshold to get incentives. Now, why those incentives are important is if they meet those incentives and they were deemed unlikely, they become deemed likely and that gets part of the, their cap for next sure. year. I know Kyrie so, had a bunch of that built in, right? Yeah, but he wasn't going to get those because of having missed all those Because he games. played 11 minutes this year? Yeah. T- twist the knife there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, 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 it matters because if those incentives, say it's a $500,000 incentive and yeah. it becomes likely that and the cap is flatlined and they were assuming the cap was going up, then th- th- they're going to be hurting for $500,000 because tell you what, no wig- any, uh, any current contracts that have incentives based on hard stats, like need to get to 150 points or need mm-hmm. to play 350 minutes, better convert those into percentages pretty soon. <laughs> right. That's yeah. what I mean. If you're not basing percentages of games played in your incentives and you're trying to get to a hard number, you're doing it wrong right now. You're doing it wrong. You're not protecting yourself for injury and you're not protecting well, yourself from things like this. Cause this stuff happens. Like it's not going to happen well, frequently, knock on wood, but that look guys that needed to score an X number of points. You're never getting to that because of the situation well, it, uh, on top of that, not only percentage of for stats, but percentage of wins because, sure. because some of these, some of these incentives are based on winning 50 games or winning 40 games. Right. Instead of 75% of the regular season. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That's the kind of things that have to be thought of now going forward. You've got to think differently. Yeah. Because if we go into next season, say next season only has 66 games, but you said your, your incentive was make 50, win 50 games. Let's make this uh, even more relatable. Scott, shouldn't Vegas be doing it this way? I mean, yeah. they're giving out NFL win totals, right? The Patriots are going to win eight and a half. How about 60% of the season? Yeah. I want to bet that, <laughs> you know, rather than a fixed number. I, I, yeah, just, I, I just wonder what kind of things are going to evolve from this. I think that's one of them. I think that's one of them. Yeah, I do too. All yeah, right. I do too. All right. We've gone way too long with this. was really good stuff. Good job researching this. Hope you guys all learned something. I learned something today. That's for darn sure. I can't. I certainly can't find the time to get into all this stuff. So it's good to have Scott with the basketball side of it almost every single day. We're going to flip the switch back to the NFL tomorrow, a little bit different. It's going to be our, is it third, fourth edition of careers earned a little bit of a twist on this week, as you might imagine. And then Thursday we'll be back with our NFL draft. I guess I'm not going to call it a preview, but we'll have some fun numbers, some good data and some really bad guesses. Not that we haven't had them already. All right, special thank you to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spottrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off. Check out that great John Hollinger piece right now on the uh, front page. Also visit fantasypros.com slash spottrack-nfl. That's fantasypros.com slash spottrack-nfl. Get a head start when we get back into the swing of things. Research, development, rankings, expert analysis, mock drafts, DFS optimization, all that good stuff. Fantasypros.com slash track dash NFL. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Genetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. 